0: In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Well, if there were ever a Sunday in which it would be tempting to preach on the psalm, or the epistle reading over the gospel, this Sunday would be it. But we're not going to do that today, so let's get into it. As you may have noticed, this passage from Mark is really two stories and not one, and there's lots to be commended about reading one right after the other, because they connect in some interesting ways. That said, we'll have to get into those points of connection another time, because the first story leaves more than enough for us to consider at present. In the first seven verses of this lesson, we read one of the most famously difficult passages found in the New Testament. At the top of the scene, we are told that Jesus is making his way to somewhere within the vicinity of Tyre, And as he's making his way in that direction, he enters a house where he doesn't think anyone will notice him. But that does not happen. Instead, what does happen is that Jesus gets only a few steps inside that house before he is confronted by a woman, a Syrophoenician woman, Who has a problem. And that problem, simply put, is that her daughter is troubled by a demon. Now, given the picture that most of us probably have of Jesus, we might expect a certain response in a scenario such as this one. But as it turns out, Jesus defies that expectation and responds in a manner that at best could be described as perhaps pithy or short or pointed, and at worst could be described as downright rude and dismissive. But the story continues from there, and what happens next is pretty remarkable. Undeterred by Jesus's initial response, which comes in the form of a first-century aphorism It'd be like saying something like, the early bird gets the worm, or easy come, easy go. Anyways, undeterred by Jesus's initial response, the woman then takes a page from that aphorism and gets off one of the best one-liners in the entire canon of scripture. Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs, she says. Now, following this reply, this comeback, there seems to be a sort of tonal shift that occurs in the conversation between Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman. And for ages and ages, many faithful and well-intentioned people have had profound disagreements about what all of this means, because there's no place you can land with respect to an understanding of this passage that does not have significant and lasting theological consequences. For example, there are some who, having encountered a reading of this story that paints Jesus's initial words as rude and dismissive, will attempt to find any number of ways to walk that back. And when they take that approach, it can feel like the story is coming to us through a press secretary in God's spin room. Now I know it sounds like Jesus said this, But what he actually said was this, is what proponents of that approach can sound like. And to be honest, I don't find that helpful, because if what you hear in those words is a response that feels rude and dismissive, then I think we need to sit with that. That said, on the opposite hand, there are others who, upon reading this passage, do not see a response, do not see a way for the response Jesus gives, the pithy and pointed aphorism, to be nuanced in any way by context, some of which we know and much of which we don't, and in so doing have argued positions that I also don't find helpful because those positions can lead to problematic conclusions about the nature of God and Jesus Christ, who is both fully human and fully divine. So given all that, given all that, you might be wringing your hands or just simply wondering, Where do we go from here? It's a good question, and you're not alone in asking it, because I've certainly felt that way too. Well, over and above the two positions just named, the ones I don't find especially helpful, I think there are actually some really rich and life-giving things that we can draw from this text, some things that I do find helpful. Speaking from my own wrestling with Mark Seven, what I take away from these words, and even what I love about them, is that this passage shows that God is exceptionally near to us. He's intimately close. And yet, in another sense, what it also shows is that God is immense and beyond all imagining. In the encounter with the Syrophoenician woman, we certainly see a God who is close at hand. Caught in the midst of a dialogue that feels emotion-laden, Jesus shows us that he knows something about difficult conversations and the challenge of words. And above all else, that he is familiar with the messiness that so often seems to accompany the human condition. Yet what also should be named, together with that sense of nearness this passage visits upon us, is a related sense that there are parts of this story that are just simply confounding, and that those parts raise more questions than they provide answers. But that said, I think there is wisdom in knowing that as people made in the image of God, that we know only in part, and that whether we should find ourselves in the midst of profound beauty or profound difficulty and challenge, every life includes moments when the only appropriate response is to simply fall silent because trying to provide an explanation or offer an answer where there isn't one could only offend. As I said, challenging as it can be, I think this passage points to the immensity of God, a God who is simultaneously very near and yet exists beyond all imagining. And what I think this passage also exposes is that this faith is rife with paradox and that it's not something that we can easily polish and make palatable. Because what makes Christianity messy and complex, as messy and complex as a crucified Lord, who is also the risen Christ, is also the same Paschal mystery that makes this way of Jesus incredible and wondrous beyond words. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen.